All right, let's pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll dive into tonight's lesson. God, thank you for the time to study. Thank you for um, the ability to come together as a body of Christ and to try to um, learn some tools that would aid us in turning the conversations that we have every day with those with whom we've, we work and um, hang out and, and live with even. And, and turn those conversations about the mundane and the ordinary into conversations where we can share uh, the truth of the gospel, the good news that uh, you have come to save us and to resurrect us to new life. I pray that you would help us to be engaged to uh, for all of us that are tired and ready to take a nap. I pray that you'd help us to be able to be focused, including myself, and that... Uh, what we would discuss tonight would be profitable, would be beneficial, and, and stir us to share the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Tonight is going to be very heavy-handed on the side of me talking to you. Um, so I apologize about that. I know that I typically try to do the discussion, but it's going to be more information dump. Um, I have given you a ton of information, and I will explain the information that I've passed on to you as we uh, as we go. We will not be walking through that whole thing. We kind of will, but we will not be walking through that whole thing um, word for word. It's more, I wanted to give you that as a tool, because yes, Tim, I'm going to give you homework tonight, and Tim will not be back next week because of that, but... The rest of you who are good, faithful, hardworking people will come back ready to kill it on uh, our assignment for next week. So real quick, a review of last week. Last week we talked about the philosophy of relational evangelism, the philosophy of what this class is all about. We defined relational evangelism as taking the most important message in the world, which is the gospel, developing a genuine, heartfelt relationship with another person, and it's within that context of that heartfelt, genuine relationship that we give them the gospel. And then we talked about these three aspects that we must boldly share the gospel with those who we are already in relationship with. So whoever that might be, remember we, t- we made those circles last week. Mm-hmm. Whoever those might be, we n- must boldly share the gospel with those people. We must intentionally expand our relational horizons outside of those current circles that we have. And we must genuinely maintain those relationships, not just cast them aside the, the time that they reject the gospel. Because who are we, in light of the sovereignty of God that we discussed a few weeks back, Who are we to know when that person is going to come to Christ? The first time, the third time, the hundredth time that we share the gospel? Or maybe we plant that seed and three years later, that gospel seed sprouts and blossoms into salvation. We have no idea. But to just look at it as a sales transaction, I believe, is wrong. We need to look at it as a genuine relationship we maintain. We also talked, I I gave you a long list, but I thought my favorite one of that list of just kind of tips and tricks for relational evangelism was um, the idea of refrigerator rights. We ought to have the type of genuine friendship with unbelievers that they they feel so welcome in our home that they could walk into our house, walk up to the fridge, grab something to drink, and sit down and, and hang out. And we likewise 
if they're willing to reciprocate that, should feel welcome in their home to do the same. Now, that's obviously not everybody, right? I mean, you're not going to let any Joe Schmo walk into your house and take stuff out of the fridge. But there are going to be a certain number of people, Lord willing, that you have built such a good friendship with that you're hanging out, you walk in, grab a pop, go on your merry way. And, and, and you to them, they to you. The last thing, and this was kind of like my cautionary uh, note, was that we must never, we must be very careful to never exchange the pursuit of the relationship with unbelievers for communicating the gospel. We may, must never be lulled to sleep in our mind to think, oh, well, I'm, I'm building this relationship. And then we, we fail to like, get the, bold, the boldness to share the gospel with them. I think that, I don't know about you, but at least personally, I can look back on the many unbelieving friends that I have and how easy, how uh, how infrequently I have shared the gospel or, uh, directly with them and just boldly said, you know, bud, I love you too much to not tell you this. And I, if you would just give me a couple minutes, it would be, I'd really appreciate it. I'm a wuss. I don't do that. But I need to do that. And you need to do that. We need to take that in, in that trusting, loving relationship, and we need we need to go to the next the next step. So tonight is I would like to try uh, to teach you about a tool that I've discovered in a book that we're going to depend heavily on tonight. So our goal is to learn how to implement a tool to help convert our everyday conversations into gospel conversations. So I'm going to attempt to translate to you. Well, um, and it's, I mean, much of it's just going to be direct lift from this book. I'm going to tell you to go buy it because it's great. And it's very simple. Like I was able, and most of you don't know me. Most of you might be shocked. But like I am a terrible and slow reader. In order for me to understand and comprehend anything, I have to usually read it twice. I was able to sit down and read this book pretty much in one sitting in one night. It's that simple. Um, the chapters are short. Okay. So it's all easily digestible information. So I highly recommend this to you. Um, and we'll get there in a second. But it, our goal tonight is to learn how to implement this tool that I'll share with you to help change, to trans, uh, transition our conversations into gospel conversations. So just as a reminder, how have we defined, chosen to define evangelism in this course for our purposes? My definition. Sharing the gospel with other Christians. Okay, sharing the gospel in order to do what? Sharing the gospel to make disciples. So that's what evangelism is. It's sharing the gospel to make disciples. So the purpose of this class within the context of our church is this. To train disciples, that's you, to make disciples who then go and make disciples. So it's my job, per Pastor Ken, to train you, disciples, to go make disciples that are then going to go make disciples. And we see this throughout the New Testament, right? Disciples go and make disciples, they go make disciples. And on and on it goes, and now you're here. Because that happened. And it's if, if that whole concept is translated into churches, right? So the goal would be that churches train men to go plant churches 
which plant other churches, right? And now you have this this mission that is happening. It is making disciples. So this is our goal of this class, to train disciples, you, to make disciples then, who will then go make disciples way down the line. This is the book that um, I would I would ask all of you to go buy. Um, I don't know how much it is. It's, pro- it's probably not much more than ten bucks. I have it on an electronic copy um, on iBooks. If you use iBooks, I would highly recommend that. Might be able to find it on Olive Tree if you're still a little old school and like the the actual hard copy books. Um, you can get those too. Uh, go to Amazon. They're fairly inexpensive, but it's called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. It's written by a guy named Jimmy Scroggins and Stephen Wright. We're going to meet Jimmy Scroggins here in a video in a little bit, but he is a pastor of a church down in southern Florida, and he and the, uh, I believe it's called the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention have developed this training tool to help equip their believers to then go share the gospel. So this is the book where pretty much the remainder of the material is going to come from tonight. Okay? So it starts with a conversation. So if I give you the big picture of their philosophy, it's that we have everyday conversations, and within the context of those everyday conversations, something is going to come up where a problem is is identified an issue or a concern is identified in the midst of that conversation i mean if you actually thought about it when was the and you thought about let's say your last five conversations with someone how many of them if you if you can remember back that far a problem was identified in the person's life maybe they're saying you know my marriage is really it's tanking or you know, I'm really struggling with my finances. You know, my kids are off the hook. You know, my job, I'm just not sure I'm going to make it. Whatever that might be. And it doesn't even have to be those that extreme, right? I feel yucky. Whatever, you know. I feel depressed. But if we have genuine conversations with people... Inevitably, these sorts of things are going to come up. So within that everyday conversation, there's a problem, an issue, concern, something negative that comes up in that conversation. Then there's a transition, which we'll discuss. We're going to transition into utilizing this tool called the three circles, which is what this book is about. And then when that three circle presentation of the gospel is completed, you issue an invitation They're going to respond one of three ways. And Lord willing, if they give the green light and they they repent and believe, they are then trained to go do the same thing. And that whole goal of training disciples to make disciples who make disciples is perpetuated. So that's the big picture. But that key is the problem, issue, concern. According to the book, the average person has 27 conversations a day. I don't know if I have that many or more or less, but that sounds like a lot to me. But 27 conversations a day. And we need to be ready to recognize when these sorts of things happen in the, those conversations so that we can seize that moment 
and turn the conversation. So the authors of this book, Scroggins in particular, he suggests that the best place in an everyday sort of conversation to turn that conversation toward the gospel is the point at which the unbeliever begins to talk about, if I put it this way, their experiences with the consequences of sin. Now that doesn't necessarily mean the consequences of their own sin, right? Because some of us that have uh, suffered from the consequences of other people's sins. But that's still a problem, issue, or concern that is in their life that is an experience of the consequences of sin in this world. So they say brokenness is what gets us ready to try God's solution for change. Brokenness is what gets us ready to try God's solution for change. The reality is is that none of us know when a person is ready to accept or reject that message, right? So it's our duty to go and share. So if you think about the conversation this way, we should be praying that God would open up these opportunities for conversation with our unbelieving friends, that we would have the wisdom and the patience to listen to hear, as Jess said last week, that we're paying attention to what they have to say, to genuinely listen, to hear what they're saying, so we can actually like ask questions and show interest. But then we wait for it. We wait for that opportunity when they they say, you know what, I've just really been struggling with this or this. And it's at that point in time, we need to be able to transition. We need to be able to um, turn that conversation, you know, can I share something with you about that? So, transitioning the conversation is something that we do every day. And it is, in my opinion and in the opinion of these authors, the key to communicating the gospel through these everyday conversations. The authors offer this as a sample. So, in the middle of a conversation, they would say, after they hear about some person's problems, they say, well, I haven't been through the exact same situation that you just mentioned, but I have had similar problems. Could I share something with you that has really helped me? So that's theirs. That doesn't have to be yours. In fact, one of your pieces of homework is going to act is to try to think through a transition statement or two that would help kind of be your thing that your go-to to help you turn that conversation into the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, they might say no. <laughs> but the reality is, is that, because people don't want to be talked down to, right? They don't want to be looked at as like, well, you're this high and mighty person, and you know, I just am this weak, pathetic loser. But rarely are they going to get angry or upset with honest, sincere, helpful input, especially from someone that they respect. If it's a genuine friend, so that that relationship is is the basis. It's it's a thing that this whole approach is predicated on. So it's not that these gospel conversations will not happen between strangers. They certainly will, but they're more likely to happen between friends because what stranger are you um, most... Most are, are most of you likely to share just like your life story and all the problems you're facing in a moment with some random stranger? Mm-hmm. 
mean, some of us might be wired that way, but most of us aren't. Most of us are wired. If we are going to actually make ourselves at all vulnerable, we're going to do it only with a certain few friends. And that is our opportunity. So the gospel tool then, so we have the conversation, which inevitably will hope, Lord willing, include some sort of problem. That will then transition to, we have a transition statement like this. Well, I haven't been through that same thing, but, you know, God has really shown himself strong in this way. Could I share a little bit about that with you? Whatever that that statement might be. And here's the cool thing, is that that gives you the ability to start from scratch with the gospel, which is something I love about this approach. Because we were were talking a few weeks back about when we went through the five phases or aspects of the gospel, there's God, man and sin, Jesus, response, and, and promise, right? And we were talking about, well, if we're sitting around the kitchen table with our family over Thanksgiving, it's rare that we're ever able to, like, jump in and start at the beginning and go from A to Z. We're usually hearing about this dude's problem, and we're, like, trying to figure out, like, how do we, how do we get in there, right? And then we're starting in the middle, and we're thinking, ah. Well, this way, we now have a simple way to turn that conversation and start from square one. So I'm going to show you a video to introduce you to this concept, this tool called the Three Circles, a life conversation guide. Now, I have provided a sample script with the pictures in your uh, your packet. I'm going to show you a video of the guy who has helped create it, and he's going to show you how he trains people in just this brief six-minute video. Then we'll kind of walk through it together um, in sequence, and then hopefully we'll be done, uh, or pretty close to it. So I'm going to hit the lights just so you can see this better, but hopefully this will make some sense. Scroggins, uh, pastor in South Florida. And like you, I believe... Hang on. This turned off on me. I came prepared. Oh, come on now. failing. Sorry. I like you. I believe that life on mission really matters. And to that end, we've developed a tool at our church to help our people share the gospel of Jesus with people that they know and people that they relate to every single day. How many times have you been in conversations where people come and they begin to share problems with you or challenges that they're facing? Well, what we want to do is help you turn conversations about problems and challenges into conversations about Jesus and his gospel. And that's why we've developed this tool called Life Conversations. And we do it using three circles. And three circles looks like this. We believe that God has a design for every single area of our lives. That includes our families, our marriages, it includes our sex life, our money, our career, our work life, 
God's design for everything in our lives. The problem is that something about us wants to go our own way. And so very often, we depart from God's design. When we depart from God's design, the, the Bible has a word for this. And the word in the Bible is the word sin. And so what we're really doing is we're sinning against God, leaving God's design. Inevitably, when we sin against God's design, we end up in a place of brokenness. And brokenness really hurts. It's real. And all of us can identify that if we're religious or if we're irreligious, if we've been to church our whole lives, if we've never been to church at all. Everybody understands what it means to feel broken as a result of our mistakes or our choices or the choices of others that have hurt us. When we find ourselves in brokenness, whether that's in a bad relationship, whether it's something that's internal, we're addicted or we're depressed or we feel discouraged or we feel empty or cheap or used, whatever it is, we find ourselves in brokenness. We always want to find a way out. We want to find a way to alleviate that brokenness. And so we begin to go on a search. We do all sorts of things, trying to numb the pain, to escape the pain, to get out of our brokenness. And what normally happens is, when we do that, we just get more and more and more broken. What we really are doing is we're saying we know something needs to change. And brokenness always feels like a bad thing, but it's really not a bad thing. In a lot of ways, it's a good thing because brokenness is the way that God gets our attention. And when we're feeling broken on the inside, when things around us are all messed up, that's when we know something has to change. Well, after trying to go our own way and trying to find a way to escape the brokenness, we recognize we really can't change ourselves, but we still know something has to change. And that's why we want to do something about it. The the Bible has a word for change, and the Bible word for change is the word repent. Well, we want to repent, we want to change, but we realize we can't change ourselves, and we realize we need something else. Well, the Bible has a solution to this problem of brokenness, and it's called the gospel. Gospel is a Bible word. It simply means good news. And this is the good news, that God loves us. And He loves us so much that when He sees us in our brokenness, He doesn't just leave us there. In fact, 2,000 years ago, He sent His own Son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect life. He lived on the earth, and He never departed from God's design. He never sinned even one single time. He loved people. He cared about people. He stood up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves. He spoke up for people who couldn't speak up for themselves. But one day, when he was about 33 years old, people that he loved took him outside the city of Jerusalem. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And they crucified him. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, God did a miracle. God took the sins of the world, my sins and your sins, and he put those sins on Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. The Bible says after he'd done everything that he came to do, that he died, they took his body down off of the cross, they laid him in a tomb, and three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the good news. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved he could do exactly what he said he could do. Forgive us of our sins. He proved that he was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God. And this is the good news. So the change that we really need, we've tried to change ourselves. It doesn't work. The change that we really need comes from Jesus. And so we want to change, and we're going to believe. We're going to believe that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus came to rescue us from our brokenness. And an amazing thing happens. We make that step, and we come to that moment in our lives, and we turn from our sins, and we turn to Jesus 
God does a miracle in our hearts and He gives us a new power. He gives us a new ability. He gives us something new inside of us that allows us to begin to recover and pursue God's design. What's really awesome about that is no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how deep our brokenness is, that Jesus comes into our lives and He begins to help us pursue and recover God's design from right here, right now, right where we are. And then once we become a believer in Jesus, an amazing thing happens. We begin to receive the blessings of God. We begin to experience the blessings of God. And then God sends us right back out into a broken world where our friends and our neighbors and our relatives and our co-workers, they need to hear the good news of Jesus and we get to tell it. This is a conversation guide. We call it the three circles. And we do it because we believe that life on mission really matters. Alright, so here's the cool thing. Is that these guys have created this and they've created for the purpose of being able to draw it on a napkin. So you could be sitting there let's say at dinner with a friend and they're sharing about some problem and you make that transition statement, right? And here you go. You can pull the napkin out from your lap and like pull out a pen and you could literally start drawing this diagram. God's design, brokenness, the gospel. There's the three circles and then those notes that kind of go with the arrows. So what I would like to do is I've given you a sample script right out of the book. We're going to kind of walk through that, not so much the sample script, but we're going to walk through the, the, the build of this thing one more time since he did it in a very brief moment of time. Um, I like to just walk through it as a class together. And then one of your other assignments this week, between now and next week, is to work on your script. How would you go through, I mean, you got to use the same stuff here, but how would you go through and explain this to someone? Um, and, and here's a little hint. You already worked on this ahead of time. You didn't even realize it when I made you do the, the gospel in one minute. So you already have the basic uh, information to fill this in. And you'd be able to walk through this um, and, and share the gospel. Because next week, we're going to do that in class together. I'm going to break you guys up with random people, and we're going to do pretend conversations, and we're kind of role play, and you're going to be freaked out, and only half of you are going to show up. But we're going to kind of role play this, and we're going to actually, and you're going to have to turn the conversation, and you're going to have to act, uh, attempt to go through this because they are adamant in the book that you must rehearse this. So if I go to the driving range to rehearse my golf swing, why on earth would I not practice how to share the gospel with someone? That's far more important than my horrible golf swing. So let's walk through this. If you want, you can follow along. I'm not going to uh, go through the script necessarily uh, all the way through, but... When you're getting to the point where you've transitioned that conversation from this person's problem, you've transitioned through your statement, such as whatever it, it might be for you, 
you'll have your own. Um, maybe something like this. Thank you so much for sharing your whatever issues. I haven't had that exact same problem, but I've definitely experienced similar, similar problems. Can I share something with you that has really helped me? That's the transition, right? So you make the transition, and you start with God's design. You know, God created us. And He created us for a purpose. And He created us so that we could enjoy life with Him with no sin and no imperfections. But we have chosen to go our own way. Whoops. Yeah. There's the sin, right? And by and, and according to Scroggins, you know the Bible has a word for, for going our own way. Sin. I don't know why it's doing this, but... And sin inevitably leads to brokenness. We live in a sin-cursed, broken world where you have people who are divorced, you have people who are dying, you have abortions, you have all sorts of problems all throughout the world. And I don't know what you're experiencing, but whatever you're experiencing, it's because of sin. Right? And then you just keep you keep building and we try to fix our brokenness, right? Like our natural, I mean, especially us guys, we're like, we love to fix things. That's like our innate desire from God to fix stuff. Whether And some of us do a good job and some of us do a bad job, but we, none of us can fix the brokenness. So we try medication. We try to work harder in our marriage. We try to drink a lot to make ourselves numb. We try to whatever but it doesn't fix anything. So then, God, the designer of all things, who is sinless, has provided a remedy to the brokenness and the sin. He not only fixes the brokenness, He fixes the sin that that has caused the brokenness. And He's done that, and I don't know if this one's going to show it, but in the one that I gave you, if you notice, right down here under the word gospel, they have a cross. And that, I like the inclusion of that cross. The reason why, and I pulled this directly out of the book. This is made up from their website. But I like the inclusion of the cross because it reminds you. So when you draw that on that napkin, you draw the cross and you draw a line down and you draw a line up. And it's a reminder when you're talking about the gospel to say, you know what? God's solution is that God himself came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And he came down to this earth to take on your sin that you deserve to die for. And he took it on himself and he died in your place. And that that's the down arrow. And then the, and then the cross is his death. And the up arrow is not only did he die... He rose again, proving that his sacrifice was accepted by God, that he was powerful enough to raise you from the dead, to keep you from eternal damnation and hell forever, but to give you forever life. And he has come as the remedy to sin. And the the way that you get to uh, begin to have your brokenness healed and the sin in your life fixed is that if you would repent and believe 
in this good news. If you would begin that process of change. So are we made, does this make sense? I hope this sounds familiar to the God, man, and sin, Jesus response and promise. So we have the gospel as the remedy. And what the gospel does when you repent and believe in the gospel, he begins to change you. And you become a minister of reconciliation, a minister of change, a minister of peace in this world. And you begin to be able to recover God's design for you and to pursue God's design for you. You now get to live for His glory and for the good of others, to love God supremely and to love others as you ought. You get to live in a way that is pleasing to God in your marriage and in your work. Does, does this fix everything here and now? Please. I know it's hot here, and I know you're... Some of you are really tired. But what is the answer to that question? Really? Does does this fix everything here and now? No. No, because it would have fixed my marriage. Right? It would have fixed it would have fixed your your kids' issues. It would have fixed your issues. It would have fixed a whole slew of things if this fixes everything now, right? This doesn't fix it all now. When does it fix it though? So there's hope, right? But it also gives you present purpose, right? Because now you can live for God's design. You can obey your king and your master. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not going to necessarily heal all your brokenness immediately, but it does promise to heal your brokenness eternally. It does promise to forgive you completely. It fixes this problem and its consequences, right? You are no longer subject to damnation. It gives you a relationship with God presently. But it does not fix or make all those problems go away immediately. But it does take it away eternally. So then you transition to the invitation. So you, you've, you've just literally written this down in five minutes or whatever on a napkin. It doesn't have to be a napkin, right? You don't even have to write it down. You could just have this up in your noggin and you share it. But how cool would it be for those who are your visual learners that you're literally drawing this out in the napkin and they could take it home if they wanted to. Right? So you just get done and you fully explain the gospel. And now we must invite them. So the invitation. They suggest a simple statement or a simple question such as this. Is there anything right now that would keep you from repenting and believing the gospel? I mean, that's a, a very direct, simple question. Is there anything right now that would prevent you from actually believing this thing? Maybe you, you could ask a question similar, like, hey, so where where do you see yourself? Maybe before you ask that, maybe you say something like, so where do you see yourself in in in, in this you know in, in this drawing on the napkin that I just did? And maybe they would be bold enough to point and say, you know. 
I'm man, my my life is screwed up. Or maybe I'm, you know, I think maybe I'm right there. Maybe I need to, I need to do that. I need to repent and believe and get my life right. But maybe it, maybe it's a simple question like, where do you see yourself? And then say, hey, well, what would keep you from doing this right now? Remember, Second Corinthians five says that God is making His appeal to unbelievers through us. Remember, that's the, that's the text we looked at early on that talks about us being ministers of this message of reconciliation. So we are responsible as ministers of reconciliation for the invitation. What are we not responsible for? Their response. Their response, exactly. Maybe you are my teacher's pet. You just nailed that. You got that right. <laughs> And here's the thing, is that there's only three responses possible to the gospel. They use Acts 17, verse 32 through 34 as an illustration. I'm just going to um, cite the, the uh, sections that apply. So one would be the green light. Some joined and believed, right? Some would be the yellow light. And they say, some said, we will hear you again. And then others just mocked, right? So there's only three responses that can be had. They accept, they outright reject, red, or they say, we'd be willing to hear you some more. And our our response to their response is going to be different, right? So we're probably like jumping up and down in tears out of our minds if we get the green light, right? If they get the yellow light, praise God. Maybe you can have the opportunity to ask more questions, to inquire, because we've been good listeners like Jessica told us to do. To do. And so we've been good listeners, so maybe we get the opportunity to ask more questions of them, or they might ask more questions of us. With the red light, though, I'd suggest, and, they, and the book suggests this, that we should be gracious to a no. There should be no arguing, debating, or celestial moves in Christian apologetics as if we're involved in some sort of cosmic chess match. None of that, they say. Rather, say, thank you for listening to me. If you ever find yourself in a place of brokenness, please remember our conversation and that God has made a way out through His Son, Jesus. That's a nice, kind, gracious way to then conclude that conversation when they reject, but not smack them down make them feel like idiots for doing so. So I would encourage you to not only think about the circle, the three circles, but to also remember that we must invite. We must make extend that invitation because the gospel demands a response. And Lord willing, it would be a green response of repentance and faith. So I'd like to uh, conclude, before I conclude, I'd like to just remind you, Tim, of your homework this week. So number one, work on your transition statement. I don't care if you use the exact same one. I don't care. I don't care what transition statement you use, but I want you to think through transition statements. And to be honest, you might need more than one, right? Maybe you're really good on your feet and you anticipate, well, what if I'm talking to a person that is going through this problem or I'm talking 
to a person who's going through this problem. Try to think of those scenarios, and maybe you would, because, like, for me, if I'm talking to someone who has just walked through the throes of divorce with betrayal, I'm going to be able to sit down and be like, you know, I actually know what you're going through. That's a different transition statement than if you haven't gone through that and you haven't had your marriage fall apart like that. But maybe you've gone through cancer. I can't say, well, you know, I really understand what you're going through because three years ago I was diagnosed with cancer. I can't say that. So you might have different transition statements for different contexts. But I think it's good to have kind of pre-thought out how you would try to transition a conversation in that moment when they're uh, communicating their brokenness and their experience with, with the consequences of sin in this life. So transition statement number two, I would work on your explanation of those three circles. I would take the, the, the diagram, the full diagram, and I would practice drawing it out on a napkin or on a piece of paper and kind of almost just share the gospel. Walk through it and, and go through it. Because next week you're going to have to do that to someone in the class. So practice it. It would be better that you practice that and not fumble and stumble. But I would rather you fumble and stumble here next week than the first time you get the opportunity to share this with your coworker or your friend. And then last, I'm just warning you again, next week <laughs> you are going to be doing this at least for a portion of the class. So... If it's just me and my dad, well then, so be it. He's not here this week, because I have a sick daughter at home, so he stayed home with her. But uh, maybe it's just he and I, but hopefully you won't chicken out. Um, I know one person who will, but I'm going to have a talk with him this week. <laughs> he plays hockey, so he's really strong. He'll be able to handle this. So, in conclusion, I, there's four things I really, really like about this, and I want to encourage and commend this tool to you. Number one, it's simple and visual. Right? You don't have to use it as a visual aid. Right? You don't have to draw it out. I mean, someone might actually be insulted that you would be drawing some, like a cartoon <laughs> of the gospel out on a piece of paper thing like, well, who the heck do you think I am? I'm not an idiot. I can track with your conversation. <laughs> but it's not that half bad of an idea to sit there and draw out what we're talking about. But I like that it's simple, and for the uh, vast majority of people, we're visual learners, so it's good to um, reinforce that through uh, the eyes. Number two, it's organized and clear. It's it's not it's there's not like fifteen things you got to remember. It's it's very simple. It's God's design, brokenness, the gospel. How do you get from one place to the next to the next to the next? Okay, well, how do we get from God's design to our brokenness? Well, that's sin. How do we get from brokenness to the gospel, repentance and faith? How do we get from the gospel to back to God's design? We can use the big word sanctification. Uh, and glorification, or we could say we get to pursue it, right? And recover it in our lives presently. So it's simple, it's visual, it's organized, and it's clear. 
Number three, it covers the essentials. Did you notice as we walked through, it covers all five of those, those essential components of the gospel that we discussed earlier this semester. God, it's there, right? God says, man in sin covers that. Jesus covers that, especially when you put the cross at the bottom with the arrows in the gospel section. Response, repent and believe. Promise, recover and pursue God's design. Relationship with Him restored. Eternity forever. No condemnation. All of those things are baked into that, that tool. And lastly, it provides the opportunity to share the entirety of the gospel from start to finish rather than have to piecemeal it together. That's what I think is, is like the genius of this system. Is that, and yes, it's only a tool. This will not save anyone. But it's a tool to equip you and myself to go and communicate the gospel effectively. And it gives us the ability to do it from A to Z. Here's my one caution and then we're done. Um, the one caution is pertaining to the fact that this talks about brokenness and that the gospel is the remedy to brokenness. Please, as you communicate this, be careful to never convey that the gospel will fix all of this person's problems in the present life now. Because it, 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 that, is a, that is a lie, an unintentional lie, I'm certain, if you were to ever communicate that, but it would be very easy for someone who is going through a horrible time in their life to hear you give such amazing news and to think, oh, well, this is about fixing the brokenness in my life. Really, it's about fixing the sin that causes the brokenness. And as long as we live life in a sin-cursed world, we're going to experience, continue to experience our own brokenness and the brokenness of others. Right? That's why I try to uh, reiterate several times. The gospel does not fix our brokenness right here and now, but it does give us hope that our brokenness will be fixed forever. And please be careful, if you were to use this tool, that, you're, that you clarify or at least are careful in the way you present it so that they don't think, oh, well, this is the fix for everything. It is, just not yet. It will be, but not right now. But it does fix our relationship with God and does give us the ability to pursue God's design in the here and now. Got it. Any question? Got a question? Yeah. Is it, do you see a connection between uh, this uh, tool that for evangelism and the uh, bridge track that uh, we, we have at, uh, at our church we use all the time? Um, I mean, Is, it's been a long time since I've actually looked at the bridge track, but yeah. I remember... I think Pastor Gorn might have been the one that wrote it. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing that when I was in high school. Um, I mean, it's probably very similar. It, it's This is... Uh, well, the bridge track is this the gospel. It's showing you the right. gospel. Where this is showing you God's plan again. Yeah, so this is... I think this is just a slightly different visualization of it. Um, this is This is a simpler visualization. And one that you can you kind of just draw, both. right? You could use both. The bridge track is more the message of the gospel. This is a visual tool, yep. Um, yep. almost like if you could put it this way. This is like the outline that you can follow, like the three points of an outline to follow as you talk about the gospel. 
Some of us old people have been taught the Romans road. What about Bible verses? Should we be using Bible verses Mm -hmm. right with this? Well, that's why I was taking the high-level concepts. But, I mean, as you walk through, well, God's design. I mean, mean, there's a gazillion different verses that you could go through. Well, sin. You know what Scripture says? That all of sin and fallen short of God's glory. Mm -hmm. And that the consequence of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And there's a whole ton of brokenness in our world that you and I both face because of all that sin, right? Yeah. And then on and on. I mean, and you can just keep going, right? You could get to some of the other Romans texts. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no condemnation for those who trust in Christ. Okay. Right? I mean, and, and you get the point. But <coughs> you could use as many texts of Scripture as you want. With this approach, it reminded me of the verse that says, uh, there's no temptation but such as is common to man, but God will provide the way of escape that we may be able to bear it. The temptation is uh, brokenness, you know, our sin condition. And, and the way of escape is the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, everybody goes through it. We're all sinners. We, we all go through the same temptations, and this is what God's got to offer. Any other questions before we go? All right. I'll pray. Let's get out of here. God, thank you for uh, granting these men wisdom um, to give us such a tool that might help us uh, simply, yet clearly and accurately and comprehensively communicate the gospel to those friends that we have that are lost. pray that you would give us boldness and willingness to, to make these um, commitments to be on mission, to share your good news, to make disciples. Help us to be good students of your word and of evangelism so that we would be trained disciples who make disciples who make disciples so that your glory and your gospel might be able to spread throughout all of the world. In your name we pray. Amen.